So Trinity, this morning, we are going to look at the question, what is the kingdom of God? I invite you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to Psalm 97. And if you don't have Bibles with you this morning, there are some Bibles in the pew uh, there in front of you. Um, And I encourage you to bring your scripture with you to church so that you can underline or highlight things that speak to you. Also, on your bulletin on the back, there are places to take notes. So if God speaks to you today, um, I encourage you to write that down. Will you join me um, in a prayer for illumination? We'll pray this together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. This is Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. So, where is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Um, We use this phrase a lot. You see it in the New Testament especially. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Sometimes he talks about the kingdom of heaven. That's really a very Jewish way in the book of Matthew of saying the kingdom of God. Okay? So anytime you see kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, these are the same things in the New Testament. So what is this kingdom all about? Well, I think the first thing that we need to know is that the kingdom has a king, right? Because you don't have a kingdom without a king. You don't have a king without a kingdom. These two are inseparable. So first, I want to talk with you about the king. Now, when we talk about kings, oftentimes we think of human rulers, right? I don't know about you, but in my head, I see like this very uh, British, you know, you come down the aisle and there's the big throne and the monarch sitting there, right? Um, And that's a good image to start with. But the reality is, is that every human king, every human ruler is flawed. Our king, the king of our kingdom, is not. And we see uh, the flawed human kings all through scripture. But you know, when God first 
gave Israel a king after they asked. Israel was not ruled by a king for many, many years. They were ruled by judges. Uh, But then they said, give us a king, God, like other nations have. And so God finally gave them a king uh, and gave Israel these instructions. This is what the king was supposed to look like. And this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreign king over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more for them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his lives, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Ideally, human kings reflect the king. And we know that our king is for us, right? Israel was to select a king who was an Israelite from the people. The king wasn't supposed to get wealthy because wealth, unfortunately, sometimes leads us into pride and arrogance and leads us into temptation. But instead, the human king was called to rule justly, to keep in the law of God. So that would have been Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? And to focus on serving God, to not consider himself better than any of his people. How many kings can you name that lived up to that? Oh, no, Solomon actually amassed lots of wealth, and he married lots of women. But he also, the the people about not buying the baby, too. Yes, Solomon was given great wisdom. Um, He was a revered ruler, as was King David. But none of these kings did exactly as God taught. David went after Bathsheba. It's a pretty risque story. If you're curious about it, I'd be happy to tell you. Uh, Solomon amassed wealth uh, and eventually um, fell because of a woman. And the kings throughout the rest of our history, kings and rulers in general, uh, tend to just not live up to what we see here. So we can't really think about human kings when we think about God as king. So what is uh, God as king like? The first way we know God is king is by looking at his saving acts to his people all throughout scripture. First, 
The people, the Hebrew people who are enslaved in Egypt cry out to God, and God hears them. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Everyone knows that song and that line, right? Okay, maybe not. Uh, Maybe it's just me. But this command to Pharaoh, let my people go, God was really acting as one king talking to a lesser ruler. The king said to Pharaoh, you're going to let my people go out and worship me. And if you don't listen, there will be consequences. We see God acting to save his people as the Red Sea parted and they traveled through on dry land. We see God acting all throughout the Old Testament, even when Israelites, even when uh, Judah was taken to Babylon in captivity, God was still king. And although they lived in a foreign land, they were reminded that God is on the throne and you don't live like the foreigners around you. You pray for them, you live among them, but we aren't like them. And that is a great way the kingdom of God. And finally, uh, we see this picture of God as king fully in Jesus, God the Son in flesh. So where is the kingdom of God? Um, It's anywhere where God is. And God has been present with his people throughout the history of God's interaction with us. He was there with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was there with Noah. He was there with Abraham. Eventually, he was there with Moses and the people. Then he gave them the Ten Commandments. They put it in an ark, and God was enthroned on that ark. He was there in the tabernacle. God dwelt in the temple. And then we see God wrapped in flesh, God incarnate, living among us. And Jesus is king. Jesus rules over creation. Jesus heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. Jesus is the only king that could live up to the commandments in Deuteronomy 17. He gathered no wealth. He lived a life of celibacy. He was one of his fellow people. He was indeed greater than his fellow Israelites, but he didn't view that as something to lord over them. Jesus ultimately is king, is given a crown of thorns and put up on a cross, and there he dies, but he doesn't stay dead. God as king in the resurrection shows us that not only is God lord over all creation, God is king over all of creation, but God is king over everything that was created, including the spiritual realm, and God is king over death. This is our king. This is our kingdom. And our kingdom reflects the king, right? When you live in a kingdom, you live under the king's law. And we are called to be holy as God is holy. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are called to be loving We are called to care for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. We are called to be a people who are orderly. We are called to be a people who are faithful because this is who God is. We see it reflected in the people of Israel. We see it reflected in the early church. And it continues to be reflected today among the people of God when we, in faith, 
come to Christ, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we receive the means of grace, communion, when we pray, when we read our scripture, and when we do acts of service for our neighbors. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. And it'll be on the screen for you as we read together. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, when, when being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So the kingdom has a king. And as we continue to explore this question of what is the kingdom of God, I want us to focus on the fact that the kingdom of God is present with us. The kingdom of God is eternal. It has always been, and it will always be. It has been with the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. And whenever and wherever the Holy Trinity has been, is, and will be, that is where the kingdom is. You know, uh, today is a national holiday. Uh, it is a day that Americans celebrate the beginning of our country. And it's tempting to do that in worship together. But here's why we're talking about the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of the United States of America. The kingdom of God will last forever. The kingdoms of this world are passing. And ultimately, while many of us share citizenship together uh, in this nation, we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. Children, sons and daughters of the King Most High, of our Father in Heaven, disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, in order to be holy as God is holy and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Because the kingdom of God has never actually been tied to any government or kingdom as we know it here on earth. Now, there are definitely some kingdoms that I would prefer to live in and others, but no kingdom is tied to the kingdom of God. When God gave the promise to Abraham, he said he would bless all people through his promise. All people. And we know, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that God's kingdom is eternal and eternally victorious. The kingdom will reign in final victory over all the kingdoms of the world and everything and every who has tried to destroy it. There have been lots of people throughout history who have been opposed to the kingdom of God, even though it's in our midst, through idolatry, through confusion, through sin, 
or persecution of God's people. And all of those attempts to oppose God will ultimately fail. So the kingdom is here. But when we talk about that, we recognize that even though the kingdom is here, even though God is among us, it's not here in the way that we hope for it to be yet. The time of rebellion and opposition to the kingdom of God is limited, and this gives us great hope. Great hope. Because one day, we believe not only did Jesus live, die, was resurrected, and ascended to the Father, but that he is coming again. And at that point, God will reign as king over all the earth in a way that we don't experience now. Can you imagine God here on earth, physically present with us again? This is our hope. This is how we know that our victory is assured. We aren't going to be taken out by the, by the opposers of God. We have brothers and sisters all over the world suffering persecution. And I don't mean that people don't like them. I mean they're being imprisoned for a very long time. They're being mistreated. Some of them are dying. And yet God's kingdom will reign victorious. Nothing can separate us from God. And nothing can take us out of his kingdom because his kingdom is here now and it is coming in its fullness in the future. And the thing about God's kingdom, when we forget that the kingdom is already here, uh, sometimes we think that we have the ability to like grow God's kingdom, to make God's kingdom expand. And this is not true. Now, we can participate in the kingdom. We can love our neighbors and share the good news of Christ Jesus with us. But here's some good news. Things feel out of our control a lot, and they are. But God is ultimately in control. So when we gather together and we look around and wonder where our brothers and sisters are, it's okay. We don't have to do anything. God is in control. When we begin to worry about our financial situations uh, as families, as individuals, as a church, as a nation, God is in control. When we suffer the sickness and loss of people we love, we're separated just for a short time. Even in death, God is in control. None of us can move his kingdom further than God is already moving it. All we have to do is act faithfully and live in that kingdom as it's being revealed. We can't bring God's kingdom. We can't stop God's kingdom because God is king. Jesus told people, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that kingdom is our hope. And that kingdom is the kingdom of life, a kingdom of peace. And it's not here perfectly yet, but brothers and sisters, the day is coming when God will reign among us again, when our shields and swords will be beaten into plowshares, 
when we will live at peace with one another, when we'll be, we will be reunited with the saints. It's going to be great. The kingdom is here. The kingdom has a king. Our next scripture this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. This section of scripture is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gone out and is teaching on the hillside to the people. And here is how he began. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So our kingdom has a king. That's what makes it a kingdom. The kingdom is here among us and is yet to come. It has always been, is now, and always will be. So what I want to focus in on for our last few moments together is the people of the kingdom. Raise your hand if you're a person of the kingdom. That's right, all of you, all of you. So people of the kingdom tend to not look like people who are not yet in the kingdom. We live by a different set of values, by a different set of laws. And we see this first and foremost in Jesus' teaching. We don't strive for the things that the world strives for. I mean, it's nice to have wealth, some wealth, don't get me wrong, but wealth is not our motivator. It's nice to have lots of friends, but life in the kingdom is not a popularity contest. I hated it when my mom said that to me when I was young. It's nice to have homes. It's nice to be a blessing to those who don't have homes. But ultimately, people in the kingdom live and bear the fruits of the Spirit, which are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And I only have those memorized because I have to pray every day for the Holy Spirit to grow those fruits in me. We are not called to be like people in other kingdoms. I mean, listen to the words that Jesus used. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Look, if you're out looking for a job and you list those things on your resume as traits that you uh, bring to the table, 
odds are your employer's gonna laugh at you. Like these are just not, my sister laughed because she knows that's, that's true, right? Like these are not things that the world values. How often do we hear people like, stand up for yourself, you know? Be proud. Fight for the things you believe in. That is not the way of the kingdom. We are called to be people who are holy as God is holy. We are called to love as God loves. So I want to read another passage of scripture to you that talks about the love of God and what life in the kingdom is like. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says to the church at Corinth, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains that I do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That kind of love can only be lived out when you submit your life to the reign of the king. When you follow Christ Jesus, when you repent of your sin, and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That is life in the kingdom. And it's not easy. And I don't know anyone who lives it out perfectly, although I know some people who are closer to it than others. Love does not envy. Love is not proud. It doesn't boast. Love seeks the good of others, even when love has been wrong. That's hard. Love isn't easily angered. I don't know about you, but if you're online, there is, like, if you're on the internet and on social media, if you read and watch the news, like, if you walk out your doorstep in the morning, there is a lot of anger right now. Love is not easily angered. Love casts out fear. There's a lot of fear in this world right now, too. Fear of coming storms, fear of climate change, fear of the uh, vaccination, fear of the virus, fear about politics. Love casts out all fear. In the kingdom of God, we are to be wise, but we don't have these things to fear. Because God's kingdom is eternal, because we belong to God, and God is king.
This world is indeed our home. I mean, I can't imagine life outside of the world. I can't imagine life outside of my body. Our bodies and souls are tied together. God created this world and put us here. This is where we belong. And yet this world is not our home. The king is among us, but the king hasn't ended the rebellion yet. There are days that I look around and I'm like, Father God, Lord Jesus, how long? How much longer do we have to deal with this world and the nonsense that's in it? How much longer before we don't have to struggle to love people? How much longer before we can break free of sin that ensnares us and look temptation in the eye and say, no, thank you. How long, O Lord? I think God is just waiting. God is patient and merciful and is giving us every opportunity to turn to him. Today, we're going to celebrate communion together. Communion, the sacrament, is a means of grace. It is a sign of the kingdom, and it is a sign that we are kingdom people. It's also the opportunity that God gives us to repent and to receive forgiveness and to seek deeper relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him and who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. So now I invite you to confess our sins before God and before one another. Will you join me in this prayer? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors.